Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today. Welcome back to the Detroit is Different podcast. And today, have new people to the Detroit is Different family. These are going to be women that add a flair and a perspective. Uh, the Spirit Says podcast. We got Bria and Corey in full effect. How are you all doing today? Hey, I'm, I'm good. Well. Okay, okay. That's good to know. Well is a good space to be in. Yes. We are uh, going to kick everything off with this. And we want to know some of your background before uh, you all come into the world. I want to introduce you all into the world. Detroit is different style. So uh, welcome to the flagship. And uh, as Josh or Piper may say, the, the franchise over there. But um, let's kick this off. Classic Detroit is different style. Corey, introduce yourself. And then Bria, introduce yourself. All right, I'm Corey um, from the East Side. Woo woo. Graduated from Kettering in 04, and I work in education. Currently, I'm in a central office position, but um, we met working at a, a high school in the city. I'm not going to say which one. Yeah. Okay, why not? Okay. Oh, so, we can so, say it. Like I'm like, oh, we don't work there anymore. Right. Like, it's cool. All right, so we both worked at Mumford um, High School, and that's where we met. And then that's just kind of how this whole journey got started. Um, I'm a mom. I have two kids. I'm single. I've been married before. And, um, you know, I'm just out here. All right. Bria. Um, hey, everybody. I am Bria, like you said. Um, my background, I'm from the east side also. Um, but my... Okay, I'm not going to get into all that. So I'm from the East Side also. Um, I graduated from DSA in 2011 as a vocal major. Um, I worked at Mumford, obviously, with her. But now I work at an all-girls alternative school slash, like, a mental health facility type school. Um, and I do a lot of things in the community. I do an, an event every year um, that's community building at, like, a black-owned space every year called Bria's Utopia. And um, I sing, I write, I write poetry. Um, and we are relaunching Spirit Says. All right, so uh, that's so much to unpack, and we always start the Detroit is Different interviews with, like, what brought your family here, but we talking east side. Corey, you gave us, like, kind of a footprint by saying K-E, the big K, which right now is being uh, renovated and turned into, like, a technological training center. Um, I'm doing certain things with Alkibalon Village, so I'm oh, yeah, looking right at there. what's happening there. Mm -hmm. So what was, what neighborhood in the east side? Um, I'm from Van Dyke. You know, I was over there, 48214, real niggas know me. We were, um, <laughs> my whole family, I actually, my mother and father still live in the house that my parents, my grandparents bought when my mom was born. So, so Van Dyke that's a legacy. What? Van Dyke, we, well, we live, we live right across from Pingree Park. So okay. between Forest, Canfield, um, Burns, and Iroquois. So like so right there. That's right in the heart of also what Paul Taylor will be doing with African yep, um, with Day um, and Inner City uh, Sub Center. Inner City Sub Center. Yep. Okay. okay. I grew up, Paul, over there and um, okay. doing the stuff. That's how we first learned about Kwanzaa. We used to do the little programs, mm -hmm. get free lunches in the summertime, all that. All right. So I definitely have to cut into, like, being a kid in that community, being introduced to, like, so much Afrocentricity. What was that like from a young age seeing this? Because for people that don't know, like, uh, Detroit has so many ties that go back to, like, African-centered roots. And a lot of 
most black traditions, richness, kind of tie back to the east side is like the root and the heartbeat of where black folks lived was the east side, period. But African-centered stuff was like heavy out east. Like, so like, you know, um, the, the reigns of like first Kwanzaa celebrations and so many things like that. But from a child's perspective, what was it like to see that? And then like be across the street too. That's like different. Yeah, and we were, like, completely grossed in it. I think when you grow up in a community and um, they're offering programs and things, even if it's not something that you're interested in, if your friends are doing it, you're like, oh, okay, I'm about to go over here, you know. So I did. I wasn't enrolled at the sub-center, but everybody knew that that was just a community space to meet up. We would have mm. – um, and they would do, like, cheerleading practices in there. They would have food and cookouts and mm. all that stuff. And I think anybody who grew up um, as, like, a child born in the late 80s, early 90s, it was just kind of, that was something that was really kind of pushed towards us. You know, mm-hmm. like that was the first place that I heard about Kwanzaa because I was kind of going there like um, preschool is half a day. And the other half of the day we would be at the okay. a sub center doing little projects and activities like Lash Key kind of. Mm-hmm. And so we would do uh, Coochie Chocolate and Self-Determination. Like I remember all those songs. We couldn't bring in outside food. So like if you didn't. If you didn't have no money to eat, he's like, no, we only support us. He'd be like, well, damn, no, you ain't going to Burger King. You ain't walking mm-hmm. over there. You spending your money in the community with us. So, like, yeah, it was it was definitely um, a staple in the community when I was growing up. Like, everything was kind of centered around the sub-center. That's where all the sports was at and all of the community gatherings. And, and, and for people that don't know, like I say about this footprint, so, like, Kind of in that same neighborhood, you also have Operation Get Down. Mm-hmm. Uh, what would happen to Quaba Center? You had uh, Alkibalon Village Al-Kibalon that I touched Village, on yeah. too. So, like, you would see these murals, like these strong African center murals of like kings and queens. Like, you're driving down the east side. So, for like outsiders, they, when they talk about Detroit's east side, especially like, you know, through rap culture and um, possibly like, you know, these street documentaries or something like that you're thinking that the east side is just full of like violence guns, Trash. drugs <laughs> yeah. and crime. but it also like I, I definitely think you know as we say street life is a part of i would say american life in general black white all communities but detroit's east side had a very distinct connection to some afrocentric and african-centered perspectives introduced to children mm-hmm. and and that's so unique that you were in that footprint which uh bria what neighborhood were were you um so the most of my time was spent over like on Ross Meringue area which is like kind of closer to harper woods area mm-hmm. but before then was like grashen and houston whittier um grashen and connor down the street from um, um osborne but the space, like, where I had most community was over, like, in Maras Moraine. That's, like, where we spent the most time. Which is also its own unique community, too, mm-hmm. as I think of things like, okay, because so, most people, you know, uh, for, for most people, when you ask, when they're from the east side, you're like, okay, so where are you by? Because I'm a west sider. And then mm-hmm. you, you learn it, and they'd be like, I'm by the airport. And you'd be like, everybody from the east side. Yeah, but, they airport. Airport. <laughs> but <laughs> technically, the But technically, it's a city airport that used to be active. The real um, Detroit. You can, 
you can reference back my Anthony Adams interview where he uh, explains how he assisted in some of the negotiations to get Southwest Airlines to place an airline contract right there at uh, City Airport when it was more active. And it'd be like, which airport are you flying into? Right now, it's more for private jets and also training if you want to learn to fly. Mm -hmm. But at one point in time, it was a very active airport. They're actually uh, moving Davis Aerospace on that, on those grounds, I believe. I think they've been doing things more mm-hmm. over there for a while. Like they've they've fly, flown uh, planes. So this is something else that you don't know. It's a it is a it is a high school where students can learn to fly planes in the city of Detroit, connected to Detroit Public Schools that That's has existed up. for a long time. Davis Aerospace. So it's not like one of those programs where you need to be. Um, you know, some special type of kid or My anything like that. My sister graduated from there, and she's yeah. going to flight training right now. She just graduated from Western Michigan, and mm-hmm. she's like she, but she went through their pilot program, mm-hmm. went into aviation in college. Um, Western sweet. is like really one of the only colleges in Michigan that has like the biggest aviation program. Mm-hmm. But flight training is very expensive, so now she's working like you know trying to get her bread up. She got a couple scholarships, which still mm-hmm. wasn't enough, so she's just trying to get her money up so she can do her flight training because you have to have so many hours to be a pilot. But that's the only thing standing in her way. Hey, yeah. So I, I just wanted to introduce as we put these highlights of Detroit in because so many people sometimes not from Detroit watch this stuff. So that's one end of the east side where it's like almost like you have this airport where everybody's like, I'll stay by the airport. Mm -hmm. Hence, that's the running (laughs) joke. But the other part of the east side is the few people that say I stay by Eastland Mall. Mm -hmm. That's your community. Yeah. So like when we think of what that is and I think of that cultural staple of Eastland, which to the west side, that was Northland for us. Mm -hmm. You know what Mm -hmm. I'm saying? Like a mall that, as they say, like, you know, the classic Chris Rock joke, the mall the white people used to go to. But Eastland (laughs) was uh, (laughs) most of my life, like going to Eastland was one of the most like, like culturally, it was something that, Something that like it's like this is Detroit is different because it was it's still such an impression on like a lot of walks of life, a lot of perspectives, a lot of like, you know, some of the best airbrush designers, some of the best mm-hmm. like um All those cookies. Oh, my God. You hit the smell when you hit the dough. OK. <laughs> I mean, yeah. And, and, and like that's one of the few malls where like some of the boutique stores, like people would spend more money in boutique stores than like Macy's. So like it was a different type of shopping center. And then the movie theater that was in there. Yeah. What, what do you remember about Eastland as a kid? Really, the movie theater. Um, my dad used to take us into, um, It was what was the name of it? I want to say Marshall Fields. Mm-hmm. Uh, we used to go into Marshall Fields and get like the um, the frozen yogurt. Oh, yeah. We used to do that like often. Target for sure. Like I still love Target now. Um, but that's the main thing. And then like when my brother went and he got some... Um, he got some Cartier glasses, and then, like, the same day, like, he was walking to a corner store that we never used to go to, and he walked that one that day because he wanted to be cool in his Cartier glasses that he just got, um, and, like, somebody robbed him. So that's a that's a memory from there. But that's the main thing, just, like, frozen yogurt, going up there sometimes, like, going to Target, things like that. Touched on another cultural norm that you guys may be familiar with if mm. you study Detroit hip, hip-hop more so, getting, getting, as they say, 
getting your yay snatched mm-hmm. or snatched getting Cartier glasses. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was so dumb. Like, I don't know why he walked to that store. And, like, somebody, they had guns and everything. And they were like, hey, are them yays? He was like, nah. He was like, yes, they are. Give them here. Like, why would you walk to the store that we never walked to? Well, getting, getting so stupid, you know, I mean, no one wants to get robbed. But robbery happens. You mm-hmm. know what I'm saying? And it's, you know, I mean, it, it happens. But... Along with that, you said you you brought up a couple other things within that family structure of being there. Mm -hmm. Why do you think you're um, because in that option of being in a community like that, why do you think your family chose to stay in Detroit? Because so many people would want to move away from Detroit because of the label of Detroit. And obviously being in a community like that, options existed where they possibly could have picked another community. Uh, Why do you think they chose Detroit to stay? Well, for the city, I don't know exactly. I do know that, like, majority of my family was on the west side. Like, we were the only people in our family that moved to the east side. Um, but my dad did that when my, once my parents got married. Well, he li- actually, he lived over there before. Like, he when he moved out, he moved out at 18. He moved to the east side because he's not from there. My mom isn't from there. My mom is west. Um, and so he moved over there because the housing was cheaper. And so he moved our family over there. So we were the on- literally the only people in our family over there. Mm-hmm. Which this also brings up another thing for, for people watching, like the dynamics of like these two sides. And this is common in many cities, but it's just certain things that Detroit is still the same city no matter what. But there are certain nuances of things that you see on the east side more prevalent than the west side and vice versa. Yeah. And and the and even the flow, like even the way that they. The, the 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 conversations and and, and, and slang and, and certain things like it's like a it's like certain things are different calls to actions and how you feel. Now we talk family and structure period as we go back around. Um who who in your family was the first to just come to Detroit, period? Well, I know like on my mom's, my great grandmother's side, my granny her family moved up here. Her father moved up here because they were super. Um, they like had a store down south, and they and they were where from Alabama. At? Where at? In Alabama, somewhere in Alabama. Alabama, where? You don't even know. I don't know. Okay. okay. I don't know, but they had a um, a store, a family store down there, and my great great maybe great another great grandfather like got into it with this white guy because he was like super respected. They had real estate and mm. all that stuff, and so he got into it with the white guy. End up killing the white guy for whatever reason, and him and um, his wife end up moving up here. So, like, they came up here, and then they end up moving their kids up here, like, slowly but surely, just so that they could be safe. And so that's how they got up here. So that's what I do know. And that's the story of even how uh, the late, great Colin, Coleman Alexander Young made his way to Detroit just due to uh, uh, a incident with the Ku Klux Klan. Mm. And not just him, uh, even uh, Jimmy Boggs. I mean, it was just such a common story. And a lot of these migration patterns, as I brought up on this, follow the train lines. So you have, especially in the east side, at one point in time, like you had whole pockets of communities because that's where black people had to live in the east side, where it would be these people are from Alabama, these people are from Florida, these people are from Georgia, you know. And then when you look like, the other train lines, these people would be from, like, you know, Chicago's full of a lot of black folks from Arkansas, Texas, Louisiana, mm-hmm. because of the way the train lines like would go, yeah. right? And, you know, that's where, like, we always say, like, you know, our sister and cousin cities, New York has a lot of black folks from even further, further, like, you know, Carolinas and, like, where the train line would go. And 
these patterns and these thought processes of um, of coming and having family here and sending down for more to come up and, and making a flagship. And Detroit was definitely one of those places where you could make a flagship. Mm. Same thing for you, Corey. Who, who in your family was the first to come to the D? Um, so my grandparents both came with their parents, like maybe mm-hmm. um, when they were children or young teenagers, mm-hmm. and uh, they all they both came for work. So like my grandfather's people, they came from Louisiana, um, not New Orleans. I can't remember the city. It's like Gulfport, some port, something mm-hmm. like that. Shreveport, maybe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. That is unique, as I say, like, because black folks from Louisiana usually wouldn't come this far east. They usually would end up in Chicago. And that's so, another thing that I was going to say, too. Like, she didn't grow up around all of her family, but I, I, like, we have a whole pocket on the east side. Like, mm-hmm. you know, they around the corner. Cousins mm-hmm. over here. Cousins yeah. over there. Cousins over there. Like, we are scattered amongst that one neighborhood and pretty much everybody branched out and moved from mm-hmm. there but everybody lived in that central area so mm-hmm. as a kid I grew up with mostly all my cousins living walking distance and like yep. we was all in the hood yeah we all went to the neighborhood school so like one of y'all get in trouble everybody got in trouble yeah so we all got like, the last name somebody I, I go somewhere and they be like oh you you a butler like oh you with them people oh. like yeah like, oh you know, I can't yeah. even ah. yeah. it's like you walking down the street it's like I know you and it be like I, I don't know you man Mm -hmm. so within this i I would say um like i say louisiana is unique because that that like puts the roots like did you ever go down there to louisiana we went when i was a little girl i remember going one time and i did not like it it was like Mm. a lot of bugs a lot of mud Um, Mm. uh, take me home you know but we was in the country we was deep down in there and from florida too my grandmother's people are from florida and when we went there it was the same way like very Mm. very country she don't live like in orlando i look it's another small city that i never heard of Mm. besides knowing that that's where they were from Okay, so the roots of this, and did your grandparents, uh, your family said y'all kind of made that footprint in that neighborhood. So they stayed there, like, around those same blocks. What do you think was it about that community that brought them there, which is a little, not necessarily in the heart of what we call Black Bottom, but it's, like, extending a little bit before. Mm -hmm. But, like, black people were welcome in that community. Yeah, and it it was, like, an Mm up-and-coming neighborhood at Mm -hmm. that time. My grandparents were a middle-class black family. Mm -hmm. Both both of them worked at the plant, so they had, you know, a little money at the time, a two-income household, and they they bought a house over in, um, in that area when it was, like, up and coming like a lot of the houses that are there right now probably hadn't even been built yet or mm. they were i'm sorry they were built but they weren't like occupied yeah you know how like people come in and it's it, it looks like a wooden house or whatever and mm. then they like put the side in the brick fronts mm. or whatever like so the neighborhood didn't look like it looked now okay and they brought that house over there i'm not sure um, how much they paid for it, but it had always been like a thriving community. Like when they came here, that's where they settled, and they all just branched out and stayed in that in that one neighborhood. I don't know, I can't tell you why or why nobody ever okay. thought like, oh, I'm gonna go over here. What's mm-hmm. on Seven Mile? They just mm-hmm. all stayed right there. And that's the other angle of things now. Like as 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 life has evolved, because that's kind of the footprint of. Where Detroit kind of starts, especially with black folks, we think of like Black Bottom and then further out and spinning there. Like this community is like one of the first 
West Side communities more open to black people coming mm-hmm. in. A lot of Jewish people left. Um, and then as time goes on, it puts black people like on seven and eight mile and like different communities like Moross and Meringue. Like, you know what I'm saying? But like the richness kind of connected to that is a different flow, a different feel. It comes with different cultures. It comes with like pizza shops, can- penny candy shops. Mm-hmm. Um, and the East Side had so much more of that, even more so than the West Side of entrepreneurship all the time. And yeah. a lot of our stuff was community-based, like the fruit truck. Fresh mm-hmm. and ripe banana here. He come out on the... And every all the kids know. We about to go to the fruit truck. We gonna take our little change. Come get these bananas. Here, mm-hmm. get these grapes. These strawberries good today. And like, so that was like healthy snacks for us, you know? Or they pulled a pool mm-hmm. up in the... Um, yes, one more beer. At like the park. <laughs> yeah, and all the little dirty kids. We just all come jump in this pool. Dirty. Look, because it's a driving around pool. Like, mm-hmm. how clean could it be? Swim mobile. But but chlorine and that was a cool thing for the city because it, it hey on them hot days swimmobile was one of the things people definitely look forward to. Um, so now this this moves more so for you guys personal families and everything. Um, and teacher education is where you all went. What drew you all to education? Did you all have educators in your family or was it just one of those things where you connected there? I'm gonna start with Bria. Um, so my mom was a kindergarten teacher um, and had done that since I was born. And then in my household, like, education was just super important. Like, my dad was the type to have us sit down and watch a movie and say, I'm going to ask you questions at the end and, like, always ask us questions. So he was, like, furious sure. styles from Boys in the Hood. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> he's so that. He's he's for real that. Like, for real. So education was just always there. And um I think you can build community through education. Mm-hmm. And so that street that I talked about over on my Ross and Meringue area, before then, like, we never, we could never, like, play with the kids in our neighborhood. We didn't go to neighborhood schools. We went to schools, um, like, in some suburbs and, in like, Pontiac and St. Clair Shores and Roseville mm-hmm. and things like that. So the first time I ever had, like, a Det- more Detroit experience somewhat was DSA. But um, I think you build community through education. And so... Uh, that's kind of how I end up getting into that myself. Cool. And cool. I liked school. I was same thing. <laughs> same thing. Your angle. What What led you into education? Did you I, have family in it? I kind of just fell into it. I can I tell a story? Okay. <laughs> so I was, um, like I said, I'm a mom. I was. I just had my son. Uh, he was probably maybe a, like one years old. It's like 2006, and I was working at McDonald's, and um, my mother who had normally been very hovering, knew at that time that she just kind of had to let me figure it out on my own. So I'm Mm. catching the bus back and forth to this job, and, like, it's nighttime, and, you know, I'm out here by myself. And I'm just like, I don't want to keep doing this. And somebody told me that they were hiring secretaries at DPS. And I'm like, well, I'll do anything. So I just go in here. Um, I go apply for the job. They call me. They're like, come take a typing test. I go to the typing test, and I'm sitting there, and – um. She's like, all right, anybody who didn't get a 32, you can leave. And I had like a 26 or something mm. like that. And so I just sat there. Mm. And then everybody left. She didn't embarrass me or nothing, but she just came <laughs> and whispered in my ear like, what you doing? Because I told you, you you know your score. I could see your score on the computer like you didn't get enough. And I just started crying and was like, please, ma'am, don't don't send me away. Like, I need this job. I, seen a, I seen a lady get jacked off on, on the bus, and I was like, I can't do this no more. Like, this is it. I'm done. So I went there, and she was like, okay. She was like, I started crying. She was like, get yourself together, and I'll be back in a minute. And she went and got everybody set up and 
to do their paperwork. And she came back and she said, okay, I'm going to give you a chance. And I'm going to let you go ahead. And if anybody ever called me from a school saying anything bad about you, that's the last chance you'll ever get. And we're going to terminate you on the spot. Mm. And so I started. That was in 2006. And I started as a secretary, um, like just bouncing around and eventually I just found myself in a higher position. You know, I moved up as I stayed mm. there all that time. And then by the time I got to Munford, I was kind of like the top secretary, like, mm. you know, super secretary. <laughs> and then <laughs> um, I transitioned sure. into another role. So, okay. So when you were in school, did were you were you a person that liked school? Were you Absolutely, yeah. Okay. I definitely liked school. And because I... I went to DPS like all my life. I, I had never gone mm. to another to a school that wasn't a DPS school. Like I went to Flicks, I went to Joyce, I went to Grant. So like, one second, you went to Flicks. I went we to definitely Flicks. gonna talk about that. Okay, well, only say, for a year. I went for first grade. Okay, but let me tell people this: it is another school within DPS, uh, foreign language immersion cultural studies, and it's specifically built on like. Okay, so like you have a first grader choose a discipline of Japanese and. The teacher will teach Japanese almost like half the day and the rest will be English and everything culturally or or Swahili or uh, Spanish or something like Flicks is like such a a gem uh, that a lot of those students from Flicks that learn Chinese just naturally were getting opportunities. Mm -hmm. I want to say like was that like 10 years ago when they were looking to connect and, and just opportunity. But your it's immersion is for real. So like. You find out about some of these gems within Detroit public school system that just always existed. So it's unique that you went to Flix. What led for your parents to send you there? Um, my dad had heard about it. Um, mm-hmm. So funny story. My my biological father mm-hmm. and my mother broke up when I was little. And then he got with another woman. So I have a stepsister. We are like two months apart. But we sisters, you know, because we've mm-hmm. grown up. We was th- they, they were together when we were like two. So we've always done everything together because we're the exact same age. Like We took our senior pictures together. But um. He, my dad heard about the school. He was going to, him and his wife was going to send my stepsister there. And he's like, I want Corey to go too. And so my mom was like, cool. fine. So I lived on the east side. but And you were going to. They would drive us. Flicks yeah. Like it used right to next be, to Renaissance. Like the, now you, it is, but oh, it used okay. to be on the, like the North End. It used to be over. Um, Oh, I was a little kid, thing? but it was like off 75 Holbrook somewhere. Ah, and it, it's like around okay. this area kind of, okay. not far okay. from here. Okay. At Hutchinson, mm-hmm. you know where that used to be at? It yep. was right over there somewhere. Ah, okay. Okay, so we're giving a lot of d- gems on DPS right now. Uh, and then also, I have to definitely stop you with the McDonald's. As a, as a, as a former fast food employee of, let's say, I did Pizza Hut, I did Burger King, I did Taco Bell, I did the round robin of them. And working fast food is like I always tell people, like, you know, when people say, I never do this, I'll never do that. It it is. It's interesting, to say the least, but some of some of the coolest uh, experiences and memorable, most memorable stories also because I was like a certain age. Mm-hmm. What McDonald's did you work at? So I started when I was in high school. I worked on Grash and French Road, which is still open. Mm-hmm. And then uh, I circled back after I had that baby and I needed a job. And I was working on Seven Mile and Woodward. 
And that church had just started, and it's still not done. But they had that's just a, like bought that land and started a, to tar, start to build that church. <laughs> church it had been a, a a Coney Island and an Asian corned beef, and it, it, it so had so immense, many lives. That's an immense, yeah, uh, <laughs> for that's sure. A, that's an undertaking of a McDonald's because that community that she speaks of, Seven and, and Woodward, Woodward, she's speaking about the church that you know, and they're still working on it. And it, as far as I'm concerned, security let them do that car. Yeah, yeah. Security car just like <laughs> hey, it's been like my son is. 17 he was one hey as far as i'm concerned let him do that because it's a lot of we got a half built jail across the street from the nfl stadium True and ain't that. nobody True talking that. about that so let the black man do what they do too okay. but uh <laughs> take you 20 years yeah take them 30 40 50 we had a we had a train station in the middle of the city that ain't nobody even raised sanctions on and actually he sold it the city helped him sell it let me get on my soapbox. <laughs> Let the black man do what he do. Black city, more power. But I'm gonna say man. that that neighborhood is one of the most unique neighborhoods because Seven and Woodward, like you have, you have basically Sherwood Forest over here, right? Yeah, Park Highland Park is like right here, right there, and you have what they call like Little Rock because it's. So, like, uh, you know, people may be familiar more so with um, like with Dearborn's, co- Dearborn's oh. culture of the Arab community mm-hmm. that exists. And that's Arab people with more money. Arab people with a little bit less money they live in, live in right around yeah. that Seven Mile and Woodward area. Mm-hmm. And then it's an African community over there, too. Like, that neighborhood, almost from, like, Seven and Woodward, and if you keep going down Seven Mile to, like, John R., because it shift and turn, like, into a whole other hood, on the other side of John R. But that's a, that's like a, and then the state fairs over there. It's a unique neighborhood. Also, the the biggest bus station mm-hmm. in and around the city is like, you know, a block and a half away too mm-hmm. of like the state fair bus station. What was it like at that McDonald's? I assume you probably saw all type of people at that McDonald's. Oh, yeah. It was banging. And then we would have like, um, you know, back at the time, it was the... The East Side Cheddar Boys, Big Herc, mm-hmm. and all of them. So you would have, like, the Detroit celebrities come through the drive-through. He'd pay for all the cars behind them or <laughs> little stupid stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Throw us money, think it's funny. Like, it was fun. It definitely wasn't fun sometimes. <laughs> but, you know, you get those experiences. And, you're just and, like, that, and that's really what this this show is more so mm-hmm. about. And we're going to get into you guys' show. But it's like it highlights the nuances of Detroit culture because I'm just such a fan of that. And through people telling their stories of it. So um, when you talk about the Cheddar Boy, shout out Tough Tone. Uh, we went to, well, I didn't even finish Northwestern, but he attended <laughs> high school while I was in high school. But shout out Tone. You know what I'm saying? Cool dude. But like uh, Eastside Cheddar Boy is definitely like a staple of a time. Like I graduated 2001. So like if you graduated 2000 and 2001, 2, 3, the Eastside Cheddar Boys was kind of like the the... The street music um, of of that era of what Detroit (laughs) was, but even more so, like, no offense to Blade, and we love Blade, but Blade and them, it was different. Like, West Siders, we know Oak Park Ties, you know Mm -hmm. what I'm saying? Whereas, like, the East Side Cheddar Boys were like, those dudes, as we talk about the new differences between like East Siders and West Siders, like it's like, no, they were like, and they were still in the hood every yes. day. You could catch them, like, maybe yes. at JB's on Warner Connor, yes. you could catch them going to yes. get fresh for the weekend. Yes, they was 
they was out there. Yes, this was like I say that they would. You know what I'm it saying? It was like, not an occurrence to see them on a regular no, day. It's just not, in the hood. Yes, yes. Like I mean, even right now, one of my favorite street rappers died. Like Peasy from D, and like everything his mom uh, does too. Like. It, it it's just a different flow and it ain't no shade to the other mm-hmm. rappers from here because like right now street rap is booming babyface ray uh everything cash doll is doing um everything i mean i want to say 42 dud like street rap yeah, is almost like at the paul sada yeah. like street rap from detroit may be the leading arc of underground street rap in the world you know what i'm saying so but when we think about who these guys look to, like Sada and all those guys, they looked up to Tone, Eastside Cheddar Boys, um, Vezo still in the mix with it, Vezzy. Uh, like these guys, like set that tone, and so much of that was even Eastside culture. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so it's unique that you say, like, that Seven Mile Woodward McDonald's would have that, but also because like Palmer Park was right there, the LGBTQ community is like in that mix too. Like, that if I had to pick an intersection of if a person told me anything on earth would happen, that's one of those few intersections. Like if a person told me the president of the United States came there, I'd be like, okay, I could see that being a seven Woodward. Mm-hmm. And then if a person told me um, it was a person having a fist fight with a raccoon, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah, yeah that possibly could happen out there too. And then if a person told me, hey man, it was like. 95 senior citizen women walking down the streets for uh, protesting for rights for, um, you know, green energy. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. that could happen at 7 and Like, mm-hmm. basically, it's one of the few places of, like, if you really want to soak up Detroit culture, i say that's an intersection that you can get it from. For sure. Even more so than, like, the downtown intersection. Like, you know, because people think the spirit of Detroit. Because no. mm-hmm. that's just... I don't it's know. Not it's not our downtown. Like it's not uh, downtown mm. is not old school Detroit. Like you know, mm. it's it's nice. I like mm. going downtown. Like it's a vibe down there. It's an energy downtown. When you mm. get down there, you're like, oh, you know, you downtown. But mm. like it's not. And maybe Detroit downtown was never popping when I was a little kid. You know, so it's yeah. not the downtown I remember. Like we was going downtown and going shopping. We were going downtown for like, the parade. Yeah, fireworks. Um, the school center building. You got to go down there and get your transcript. We one time we thought we wanted to move out of town and then came right back. Like so, downtown was like business mm-hmm. shopping. It Pay wasn't taxes. like. It, it wasn't like a city center like it is now. Mm-hmm. Like, you remember going to Belle Isle and stuff, but even back then, it was no Riverwalk or... Mm-hmm. You just got that little park right there um, and, where the little fountain is, but, like, there was nothing. That All of that stuff was different. Which, I, I, which brings me to another gem that kind of connects both these in one of the places that, you know, I've worked with and all of that stuff. Chandler Park. What do you guys think as Eastsiders? And that's one of those gems, like, kind of between both those neighborhoods. You know what I'm saying? What do you all think of Chandler Park? What do you all remember about Chandler Park? Being kids there, like, hearing definitely, you know, what are those stories that come to mind from Chandler Park? Honestly, I grew up on the east side, but I didn't have a lot of... Her daddy wasn't letting her get nowhere close yeah, to Yeah, I had Park. a lot of... Okay. I, like, I grew up in a super strict household, so it was okay. a lot of rules. So I grew up super sheltered. So it's like, I don't have a lot of... That's why people always say, like, okay, you from the east side, where are you from? Because they never <laughs> believe me. And I'm like, I'm really... And when I tell them, when I tell them, oh, Gratian and Connor, Gratian Houston Whittier, you know, all this, and they're like, oh, okay, you are from the east side. But it's like, I don't have those east side stories. Like, I just don't have that. I got some of that later, but... Mm. 
I didn't we never have that, went so. to the Indigo Ballroom. I don't never even know what that party is. Party that CJ's. No. <laughs> Not me. So, uh, so. I was in the park. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it wasn't always mm-hmm. like raunchy. I learned how to swim at Chandler. You know, I remember That's good you did. Um, family reunions way back, back in the day before it got rowdy, rowdy. But Chandler Park is right outside the project. So, you know, if you're looking for a good old East Side time, <laughs> you about to roll up to Chandler Park. And back in the day, any warm day, a semi-warm day like today, Chandler would have been slapping. Sure. All the guys coming out with their cars. They got their mm-hmm. motorcycle bikes. Um, you know, you got some people over here that might have some kids, but they drinking, they smoking, they having a good time. Somebody didn't put a grill out. And you just go post up just like the Bell Isle Strip. You know, we just... I think... Yeah, and that's the unique thing. And, like, the water park is, I, I work with the water park and what they've done. And, actually, it's a skateboard park right now on Channel yep, Park uh, and yep. everything. And they've done with more with the golf. Like, it's, they've added more, and it's still family, but I still think it has the essence of what happens on the east side, like, where it still feels Detroit culture. Absolutely. The same way that Rouge Park uh, for the west side was. Because right now, especially with Belle Isle being a state park, it just doesn't it feel the, the same. same. No. Uh, and it doesn't feel as welcome. So it's so cool to see some of the things about Chandler Park as it connects. But yeah, definitely. Like the later on at night, it you know, it, it would be a strip and, and for people that know the strip, it's it's like the strip probably in your town, like where guys would, you know, had a new car and want to play some sounds, maybe have something to drink outside, you know, with their girlfriend. Like it was that feel because it still is a car city. And at one point in time, Chandler Park was that. Rouge Park was that. Belle Isle at times would be that. It Rouge would be Park is still that. I just moved yeah. to that area, and I I just be riding fast like it's Wednesday. What y'all doing? I like it's Wednesday. Yeah, <laughs> if, it's, it, if it's a vibe, they pulling up. The park just be full of people, and it's it's just like that old school vibe. They be having the drinks out. The kids over at the park. Somebody got a cooler with popsicles, and they they just chilling. And and and, and that's the to me like part of the essence too. And and some of these parks are like. I think it's even a different feel, though. It's the West Side's version, to me, of Chandler Park. It, like, with Rouge, you know, it's the people playing chess. It's the, um, you know, D-Town Farms isn't far from there. So it's the Urban Gardening. You have the uh, the Buffalo Soldiers with, yes. the, with the horses. Yes, um, I've seen them. Yes, you know, I go up and just feed horses sometimes. Like, I was, walk, I mean, driving down Joy Road, like, are those horses over there? And I just go sometimes. It's just a lot of fun. And it's so, it, whereas Chandler... So, like, I think it's like Rouge will have a mix of families and more seniors, whereas Chandler Park is almost like the opposite. It's families and just young people go there sometimes, like teenagers, kids from just around the neighborhood. It's the projects. Okay. I want to go. It's swimming. right outside the project. So the pro- everybody, everybody got a cousin, a grandma, an auntie, a family member, somebody who live in the project. Mm-hmm. We all about to pull up at auntie house. Who I'll see who over there? See what she got in her refrigerator. Then we about to go hit the park. That was just the move on the weekend. That's what everybody was doing. That's that's what I think was bringing people to the park because. You know, you with your people, and then it's like, oh, okay, that's where that's where all the people at. Mm. Let's go over here. And it's unique you mentioned the projects there because that's the other thing. So we think of, uh, you know, and things have changed now with the way Section 8 moves and projects and just the way the government has shifted how that goes. But a lot of the projects of Detroit definitely more lent itself to the east side. So we think of like first like the Sojourner Truth Homes, Mm. the Brewsters, uh, even the Freedoms, which were like, 
even though kind of in that footprint of what's labeled Midtown now, still on the east side of it. But like I say, like most black folks were in that footprint of what was east of Woodward. So Mm -hmm. for people that don't know, like the east side is basically anything east of Woodward Avenue is considered the east side of Detroit. And you can look at Detroit to me as like a tree and you got a branch of the main branch is Woodward, like right down the middle. And then you got a branch of Gratiot. And then you got a branch of Grand River. So basically, mm. to me, like if you ever yeah, you wanted to create mass to transit in the city of Detroit, you would go those three veins and probably like every other four miles or something. So like eight mile and I don't know what four miles in is from there, but it, then it go across and then it go across and then it just goes further out. And all all three of those streets also run deep, deep, deep into the suburbs like like Pontiac uh, you know, you yeah, you'll cross Grand take River you all the way to like 38, 40 miles, something yeah, yeah, like I know. that. It's like you'll be in Mount Clemens for mm-hmm. real. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. You know, so way past there. So, uh, and and I'm I'm getting in all my Detroit is different bag. Let's get more into the Spirit Says bag, y'all podcast. What what brought you guys friendship together? Uh, I know where you all met, but what like picked up the vibe where it's like. I like your feel. I like your feel. Let's let's talk. And then how did that transition to let's have a show? Well, um, it's something like when, so like I said, I grew up in the city. I grew up on the east side. But a lot of my experience wasn't east side experience, wasn't like typical Detroit experience. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of times like when I walk into different spaces, people assume that I'm one way. And then once they get to know me, they're like, oh, okay, and they open up, or they still kind of like, I don't know. And so when I met her, when I got to Mumford, um, I would get that vibe from some people. Um, Some people were like super open and nice and everything, but some people were just like, I don't know, you know? Mm -hmm. And so with her, she was always the same. Like she was always really nice, always very welcoming. Um, I would ask questions and she would just always be super helpful. And it was just just always really genuine. Look at this young teacher. Let me help y'all, girl. (laughs) Yeah, like she was just always that person. These kids is crazy. And it's like, let me tell you something. Hey, come here. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like she she was always super genuine and I just pay attention. Like I just pay attention to people's energy and how I feel. Mm -hmm. And so um, it was always like, like that so then we just end up talking and just becoming friends just naturally it was so we didn't work together at first we mm-hmm. both worked in the building but yeah. we worked separate you know we didn't have a reason to collaborate mm-hmm. there so were two I different Mumford and Mumford right yeah mm-hmm. so she worked at one school I worked at the she worked at the academy I worked at the high school mm-hmm. so we we knew each other and I'm like oh hey Miss Brielle you look cute today or whatever whatever but we weren't really friends and then when they merged into one school mm-hmm. we yeah. became like now our jobs are like this mm-hmm. she we work right closely with each other so it gave us the opportunity to kind of get to get get to know each other more and i was like oh well damn you really don't you know like i just thought she was just a little young girl bopping around you know i didn't know because also <laughs> she was like the the youngest person on our staff like at the time you know we working in a high school she like 23 24 mm-hmm. and so i was you know 31 32 whatever but I, but she's so young and then mm-hmm. so mature she give off such like a grown-up vibe and the kids really take to her they really Really want to hear what she got to say because she's young, but she's also in a subordinate position. So she was kind of like the ear to the streets. Like she know the kids, she know what's going on. They feel comfortable telling her stuff that they might not tell somebody else. So once we got to work together more and know each other, it was like we would just have these conversations that 
that bring about so much change. Like, you know, I would be talking to her. She would be telling me something that she's experiencing, and I would just kind of be talking her through it. And then I would be like, well, damn, I was experiencing that same thing. Or she just brought a revelation to the front of my mind that I had not. It was in there somewhere, but, like, I didn't have a chance to exercise it until we talked. And so then it was just like, damn, we started hanging out more because, of course, it's like unlocking a different part of yourself, and you want to explore that more. And so the more we talk, I'm like, Wait, let me t- let me cut my phone on because we just need to record this. We had dinner just on a random night. And I'm like, let's just record our conversation because it always and I wanted to hear it back for myself because mm. we just always end up so far away from where we began. And it'll be like both of us like, dang, we just walk away from the conversation so different. And it's mm-hmm. nothing that we plan to do. Right. We just sat down to kick the shit and then we end up crying or whatever and then (laughs) you know some big revelation so that's where the spirit says came from because it was such a god thing like we had been in each other's face all this time but never had the chance to connect until it was the right time and then when we connect we we never expect to have a podcast or talk about anything or get anywhere but like my life has grown so much from being her friend and like experiencing her and i feel like Somebody else needs to experience us because we got something valuable to give to other people, especially working with kids and like seeing life transformation. And when them kids go, when they graduate and they leave, you might not see them no more. You don't know what happens. But like when they're the four years when they in that school, a lot of their life revolves around that school. And you get like, you know, they they go through things and they come and they share things with you. And like it, it was just you go through it with them. Yeah, it was just a real transformative experience. Like I didn't I didn't know it at the time, but I look back and I'm like, damn, I learned so much in those years just about myself. And it was like I had just become single. It was like everything just happened at the same time mm. so I don't know I just felt like you know what she's done for me what I've done for her we could do for other people that's deep so so this podcast uh, and you all have done an iteration of it but now I'm glad and, and welcome you with open arms to Detroit is different I can see the connection definitely um, adding two cents of, of the flow together too um, what 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 type of topics will be explored, Bria? What what will you all what will I get when I listen, when I tune in? Um what what's gonna be the focus? I feel like more than anything, um the focus is your own intuition. So when we were having conversations, it would like I I tell people all the time, like I have friends, but I also have people that I feel like are my counsel. So like that's my inner circle. Those are the people that I'll talk to about any and everything that see me, that see, you know, um, that see my spirit, that recognize my spirit because it also resonates within them and it's a reflection of them. But I talk to them because they don't tell me what to do. They don't say, oh, you shouldn't do this or you should do this. They really just point me back to myself. So that's what really what we're really going to be doing is pointing people back to themselves because the answer is already within you. Whatever it is, your purpose, your gift, your, your light, whatever it is, is already within. So really our conversations are going to be very vulnerable, very transparent, very genuine, um, fun, funny, all those things. But it's just going to help people look within themselves and that's that's really the goal of it all spirit says is really about um paying attention having a moment to be still and it doesn't mean just like literally just sitting still but just sitting within yourself and recognizing what your spirit is saying where are you being guided to you know what brought me to mumford was really spirit like i was going to start a self-love girls group because i felt like the person that you know the girls see within me that they want to talk to and mm. and tell me about their lives and tell me everything 
you know, I felt like I could have benefited from having someone like me in my life when I was younger. So I ended up, didn't have a job at the time, ended up going up to Mumford. Well, I went up, actually, I went up to my old high school. I went to DSA to start a self-love girls group. The principal, they had a new principal at the time. She wasn't getting back to me. And I'm like, I feel like my spirit is leading me to do this. I ended up going up to Renaissance. I'm like, I'm going to go to schools that are nicer schools and everything. Renaissance <laughs> had a program like that, Pretty Brown Girl. So I'm like, okay, I look up to DPS schools. The first one closest to Renaissance was Mumford. I had a roommate in college. She went to Mumford. She told me about the things that were happening at Mumford. And I'm like, I don't know, but this is what my spirit is leading me to do, so I'm going to do that. And then, bam, like she said, we had been in each other's, um, in the vicinity of one another for quite some time. But, like, after two years, then we started to, you know, build a relationship and talk and things like that. So it's like, just like how spirit led me there, you know, things changed at Mumford. The two schools merged, and then we end up having conversations, and now we're here, and we're going to give that to other people. It's just really just... Pointing people back to themselves. And, and let me say this, too, um, because as they say, like, you know, bad news travels fast. And it does, because I think it's, you know, it's more shocking. But even the way that we we follow media itself, I mean, people are watching uh, 50 Cent's Power series and, uh, you know, even the new Batman and like because, you, you know what I'm saying? It's going to be violence and action and, and mm-hmm. And shouting and you know what I'm saying? Sometimes, but within it, being a Northwestern guy, and Lord knows that's definitely a neighborhood school if it ever was a neighborhood school. And it definitely was like, like even my neighborhood, like right now I'm on Clements, you know, right off Rosa Parks. Like if you want to get into, if you want to get into some street life, it's, it's, it's many doors to open, you know? But even within the ethics of the street life, it's still some it's some character, it's some morality. I think it's a level of sincerity that exists in our community um, of what America may label as less that is so much more and so much rich. Some of the experiences, as we know, the traumas um, that some of the students go through, but just families of black people go through, it's real and it's experiential. But in that same spectrum of the trauma, as I feel like, you know, like black trauma can be interfaced and used as like a call to action and almost marketed to people. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of black triumph too. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of joys in what may even be labeled as poverty. You know what I'm saying? It's a lot of the like, recipes that kid that, <laughs> that kid that may, you know, that kid know that they fail in every day, but they show up one day to, you know what I'm saying, buy lunch for the next kid or something. You know what I'm saying? Like that stuff happens. Mm-hmm. So like what what one may notice as like a like a a, a, a empty gesture is like something real. Yep. You know what I'm saying? Like yep. I ain't gonna be here. I ain't gonna use my laptop, man. Here you go. You can take it because mm-hmm. I'm doing this or focus there. Like it's a lot of acts of love. It's a lot of sincerity. It's a lot of true character that can come and rise above the vestiges of like the pictures that we be painted in. So like when people ask definitely a story like what's happening at a Northwestern or Mumford or most neighborhood schools, but I go as far as even saying the quote unquote good schools, like, you know, people go through stuff. I mean, students are people Mm -hmm. and people go through stuff. It's just that when they're younger, we look at it through a lens of like, Oh, if you 12, you're not supposed to. And it's like, nah, man, in reality, you know, I mean, 
you know, somebody going to sneak a knife in school at 12. You know what I'm saying? And it presents a moment depending upon the teachers, the administrators, uh, the, the parents, and even the other students to, like, really unpack that or, you know what I'm saying, try to sweep it under the rug. And it all depends on from what angle because knives are in America or knives are in society. They exist. Violence exists. Guns exist. Like, how do we address what this is? So, like, yeah, definitely in a one-off, if somebody tells you about a school, it, it'd be like, uh, yeah, it, it, it can sound scary. But that also sometimes because so many people are afraid to touch and connect with some of those students and some of those resources, they'll be the most receptive. And you even learn yourself, you know, and, and the toughest thing about as I think about it with most of my work when I've worked with students, I think it just takes a level of patience that right now I don't have as much of that in my world of business. But if you're willing to be patient. You're going to get glimpses of creativity and brilliance mm -hmm. and a lot of the silliness and a lot of the dismissive nature and all of that stuff. There's more all of those stacked up insecurities of for so long feeling as though these people that are interacting with me really don't care. Yep. So let me let me be proactive, almost like in an offensive nature and give you a reason not to care about me. Yep. <laughs> and now I'm going to justify whatever this behavior is. Yeah. But if you're willing to be patient and cut through that. In your own style and everybody got their own style. So like, you know, uh, Morgan Freeman was Joe Clark or, or Joe Clark's style was Joe Clark's style. You can't be Kari and be Joe Clark. And you can't be Bria and Joe Clark. You can't be Corey and Joe Clark. You got to have your own style because that's the other thing about younger people. Like they it's like they can read through the real so much faster. Yeah, now, they're still developing who they really are. As but are. as far as you, they definitely can be like, oh, man, you you ain't really Joe Clark. Yep. But if you are, yeah, you could probably be like, you smoke crack, don't you? Like, <laughs> but, you know, you got to have you know? a relationship with your kids. Because, yeah. you know, I'm not going to walk up to a kid that I ain't never encountered before and just start getting on their face. <laughs> However, <laughs> and it's a disclaimer, I ain't trying to lose my job. But, you know, you got that kid you got a relationship with and you could see them in the lunch and be like, hey, look, you know you ain't supposed to be doing that. You better stop. You know, like, so you, you, it's it's all about how you approach it. Like, some of these kids, they get up and press themselves to the school just because that's the only love they get all day. And, and that's and that's really at the root of a lot of this. You know, um, my, my homeboy, um, my homeboy pointed out something like uh, a school in Baltimore won some award where they're on TV and, like, some of the kids were kind of acting silly and then the principal was like, you know what I'm saying? But did it so fast that, like, you almost just have to know. Mm -hmm. But, but it takes a certain rapport. You know what I'm saying? Like, but I feel like it was, sometimes, I mean, it is yeah, a place yeah, and mean, a time for everything. But, but it's still, like, I think when you have the relationship and rapport, you yeah. can do this. Mm -hmm. And they get it. And it's like, yeah. Oh, and you're right. Because like, oh like, kids don't even yeah. expect you to be. Because, yeah. like, I remember one time I was in the lunchroom um, just walking through ninth grade lunch. And they was in a cypher. And I'm talking mm -hmm. about they was hard in that thing. Like, they was doing a mm -hmm. beat. Boy was going. He was flowing. I just so happened to be walking past. And I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, okay, okay. And then he said something like chopsticks. And everybody's like, oh, they all went crazy. I'm like, oh, this shit, that was sweet. And they like, mm -hmm. yeah. What you doing? I, why y'all stop rapping? Keep going. I was in the flow. What we doing? Like, no, y'all can do that. And like, people don't see that. They don't see all the good things. They see the fights. Yeah. They see the they see the guns. They see the bad grades or the failing test scores. Mm -hmm. But like, it's so many triumphs. Like, I I know yeah. a kid right now who did not graduate from high school, but we love this kid 
down to the bone. And he we was doing everything that we could to try to get him out of school because he just was so sweet. And he was getting up and coming every single day. He ain't had nobody at home waking him up in the morning, making him come to school. Mm-hmm. He we, we ain't seen him for a couple of days. We'd be like, where you was at? What you was doing? Oh, my... Um, yeah. My hot water heater went out. I was trying, I was on YouTube trying to figure out how to get it to work so we could yeah. have some hot water at the crib. You know, like little stuff yeah. like that. And it's like, it, you don't throw him away just because he ain't finished the mission. What's next? And, how can I help you? How can I support? And then it, it's it's those entry points. You know what I'm saying? So sometimes it, it definitely is that, I mean, I guess it's the old adage, it takes a village, but more so than even the village, just the right perspective. And then just different angles and perspectives. Like, you know, what Tupac say, like, I may not be, I may not be the mind that changes the world, but I can inspire the mind that does. And I would say that, like, I would expand that to say, we all change the world, right? But it takes certain levels of consciousness for different people to catch at certain levels, you know? So one of the last discussions I had where I was debating with somebody um, about, like, this is so bad because Snoop, he a gang member and he's so misogynistic and he sold this and he so that. Why is we cheering him on for the Super Bowl? Which in reality, I'm I'm a person because my mind is so open in this media. Like, I think everything needs to be observed from all angles. But, like, what I had to tell... What I had to tell my friend was like, okay, to you, Snoop is that. And he deserves to be critique, critiqued like that. But to like a whole lot of kids, and especially like my 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 nephew is in Inglewood right now, like around the corner, like right in that in the heart of like where Crenshaw would be like to kids and he's heading to and he's heading to middle school. That's like when kids really be, you know what I'm saying? That whole where you from is AKA if you don't know and like you more square. That's basically <laughs> a, a a calling of what gang, what gang are you in? Where do you associate? You know what I'm saying? Hence, where your mama and them from. You know what I'm saying? That's question two in LA. But for a lot of people, what Snoop represents just in agency and embodiment is like somebody that came through Crippin and made something of himself in the eyes of so many. Now, whether you see him as a success or whether you don't, it's so many young homies, you know, that see him as a success and have more to aspire to. Because as he unlocks and does things that are outside of the scope of what people think a crip would do, it opens them up to not just define themselves in this box of what they think cripping is. Nipsey hustle the same way. So it's like it depends on like and, you know, you may move past looking to Snoop and then you then learn from, I don't know, Cornell West and then you learn from yourself. I, I You know what I'm saying? It, it goes, but it still takes one point. It takes somebody at the level where you at to connect with you first. Right. And then from there it can grow it be because it's going to, you know what I'm saying? You're not going, if you cripping, is you you not hearing probably the higher consciousness that this other people have. So just him being at the Super Bowl stage and my own feelings about the NFL, my own feelings about the platform, like it's a lot of stuff. But it's like yeah. I also am smart enough to recognize what that means to so many and even his joy for doing that and just exposing what his joy was in connecting to that means a lot. It's the same way with a lot of these students. Like to, to know that like, you know, Miss Corey is in the office and like I you know what I mean? I I'm 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 here and I'm out. And then you still gonna be fair. It's like, yo, if you're supposed to get suspended, you're gonna get suspended, but I'm not doing it in it's not malicious. 
You know what's fair? It's a way to it's a way to hold someone accountable That's where they smart. take, I guess, I don't want to say where they face the consequence of their action. But you give it to them with love and even in giving them the consequences in love. When you take on a role in a public school, your main goal is social working. That's what you do. You're a psychologist, a social worker. You provide for their social emotional needs more so than you do for than you do educating because like that's not something that's taught. But that's something that I'm gonna that's teach. Needed. That is like a lot of yeah. kids I encounter them. They just walk up. Can I get a pass? Good morning. How you doing? Right. I'm good. <laughs> Thank you for asking. Cause I'm gonna teach you. You're gonna have respect. Yep. This is how you approach people. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna hold you accountable. Yes, you. Players fuck up. Okay, you're gonna get suspended, but how can we change this going forward? Like, yeah. so we gonna make your next move your best move. How are we gonna make sure we don't do this in the future? Because that's what they need to learn. Like I teach my son that all the time, and he be like, "Well, why you ain't saying nothing to them? I'm saying something to you because you're the only person that you can control. And when you get out in the world, you can't say why you saying nothing to them. I'm not going with you, so I'm not gonna be there to fight all of your battles. You have to be accountable for your actions. And knowing that you're going to be accountable for them actions will keep you from creating, from doing a lot of things that you probably shouldn't do. That's deep. That was me. But you know what? Earlier you said you have to have a lot of patience. And when you have that patience, you learn. And I want to challenge that a little bit because there's times I do not have patience at all. I am very patient, but I, I told you I grew up very strict. My dad said I, I'm, I, he didn't say he wasn't a saying a two and three times type of parent. I said it one time. You heard what I said. You understood what I said. So if you do what you want to do, there's consequences to doing what you want to do. And so with them, sometimes, like, I'm the kind of person, I grew up in the house, okay, you push the chair in when you get up. That's just what I know. You take your shoes off when you come in the house. There was always, there was a lot of rules. And so with these kids, sometimes I expect them to do the same thing. It's like, no, but just like you said, you're not just about to come up and ask me for something. Hello, good morning, you know, please and thank you. And so a lot of times with these kids, you mentioned Snoop Dogg, how it's like, okay, he's a crip and some people don't expect him to achieve whatever else or are so in awe because he achieved this and that. But the thing is, a lot of these kids, they don't see the light within themselves. They don't see the purpose or the value within themselves because of their experience. And so when you walk up to them, it's like, it's, it's that thing, it's that intuitive Like, I see you. You know what I'm saying? And so sometimes when you see a kid, even if you don't have the patience, sometimes it's not always just about the patience because sometimes I don't have patience. And they teach me a lot of times more than I'm showing or teaching them because they teach me how to have more patience. Mm -hmm. They teach me. I I didn't grow up in a, oh, give me a hug type of household. Maybe when I was younger, but once I got up, not for real. So I was the kind of person, before I started working there, I've worked in daycares and just with all age groups of kids. I wasn't a big hugger. I was that person that's like, all right, like, tap tap like let's wrap this up here what are we doing but they've made me more of that person they'll if you allow it and sometimes when you don't allow it they will expand you but I feel like having people within schools and having that like I said that's how you build community and that's not just how you build community but that's a great opportunity to build community of working in schools because you build community within yourself you learn how to how to take care of people you learn how to be more nurturing you learn how to be that person that's that social worker that's you know I was in Mumford where the kids knew they can come in my room I had apples and oranges in there so if you're hungry I don't want to just give you I was like getting pop tarts before but I don't want you filling your stomach up with trash because most of them are eating hot Cheetos and all that kind of stuff in the morning so they can come they know if they come to my room 
gonna smell good. You also, if you if you mess up, they were on each other. Like we're gonna clean up this room because I'm not cleaning up your mess. Um, you can come in there if you're hungry. If girls, if they're on their cycle, they can come in there. If you have a bruise, you can come in there. If you're not feeling good, I can give you something and doctor you up. But I feel like you learn those things regardless if you're patient or not because you're in that position. And so there's a lot of times in schools there's people with degrees and certifications. That's all great. But I feel like more than anything, you have to have the spirit for it and the anointing to be able to do it. And so spirit says, I don't want to just be throwing out words like anointing and God and things like that and make people feel like it's a it's a religious podcast because it's not. But it's that intuitive thing that even animals have. Like, okay, there's something about your spirit. There's something about when you come around, there's a kindred spirit. There's a like mind. There's a certain energy. When I leave this room, I feel better than when I came in. So long story long and tangent. Right. Two or three tangents. Whatever spirit away. is for you. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Well, that's cool. I look forward to it. Thank you both for coming on Detroit is Different. <laughs> I look forward to uh, this thing lifting off the ground and being a part of the network. Uh, we're going to get this thing going and you all see, you all just were introduced uh, in the Detroit is Different style to what's going to be offered from Corey and Bria. Thank you both. Thank you. Detroit is Different is where you get information, artistry, history, music, and even comedy. Detroit is Different, a home for the culture of Detroit. Visit online at DetroitIsDifferent.com today.